a Podcast One production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and this is A Plate to Call Home, conversations with fascinating people all centred around food. The reason I wanted to make this show, A Plate to Call Home, was so that I could delve deep into people's love and passion for food and how much joy that brings them and, of course, all of us. But food doesn't always necessarily bring that joy. In fact, sometimes it can bring its own fair share of problems. George Columbaris, a very good friend of mine, is no stranger to that concept, and I wanted to sit down with him and see how he felt about the last 12 months, which even he said has been the hardest he's ever faced in his career. So take a listen of my chat with George Columbaris. Mr. George Columbaris, it's nice having you in the studio. I like this. Because you don't know what I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I can I can put you on the spot and you're going to go, uh, no, look, we know we, we've known each other obviously a very long time, so we need to put it out to the audience that it's yeah. probably- is that the disclaimer? Yeah, it is the, the disclaimer. disclaimer <laughs> How long have we known each other? 96. Uh, 96, yeah. So it's a while. It's uh, t- Is that ridiculous when we say 21 years? Oof. It is, isn't it? Oof. Is it? 21 years, yeah. It's yeah, a long time. that's a long time. Look good. <laughs> well, I don't feel good. <laughs> I'm getting old. Anyway, and everybody knows you from MasterChef, obviously. Yeah. But I think uh, foodies, proper foodies, knew you well before MasterChef. Obviously, mm. you've done a bit of television in the past. Um, but that was all based on being a chef and getting your name out there and mm. winning lots of awards as a young chef. What what did what, – Young Chef of the Year? Mm. Yeah. So when was that? Young Chef of the Year. That was – Nine, uh, 2002, 2000 and, uh, 2002, yeah, 2002, around yep. uh, 2004. Um, yeah. And how old were you then? Uh, I was, geez, <laughs> I shouldn't put you on the spot Bam. with mathematics. It's like Master Chef Maths. <laughs> <laughs> you were young. 20 um, yeah, I was 24. Something. 24. Yeah. Right. 24, um, yeah. Yeah. And since then? What since are the, what then. Are the, <laughs> <laughs> since no, I was going to I was going to keep it professional yeah, for a second yeah, in terms no. of being a chef. Uh, yeah. Since then, so young chef of the year, young restaurant of the, of the year, year, restaurant of the year, chef of the year, chef of the year. Um, uh, oh, you yeah, even went so over to uh, France and represented Australia, Australia in in the Talk Blanche, uh, the Bakou store, Bakou store. Sorry, um, which gives gives me shivers down my spine when I think about that one. Yeah, because it was um, and you were really young there too. Yeah, as well. yeah, How yeah, old yeah. Were you then? Yeah, I think I was. I think I was twenty twenty two then. Yeah. Um, so quite daunting. It's, so it's, sort of, it's sort of, I think about it now and I go, did I rush this thing? <clears throat> what, being a chef? No, or I never forget, success? no, I never forget. Um, and I still, and I, I think I wrote about it in my last book. Um, uh, Michelle Rue said that, um, a chef under 30 is not allowed to write, should never be allowed to write a cookbook because <laughs> they don't know enough. <laughs> so I feel like a fraud. I probably don't know enough. Um, but I'm glad I did because yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, like it's like a diary that's there for life. Mm. Um, but I, try, I, I actually think, and, I, and you know that I think the opposite mm. of this, and actually somebody asked me this the other day. They said, you know, the industry's changed, lots change. You know, it's difficult finding staff. And I said, you know what, I'm just over at 50 now listening to all these people as we've saying the same old thing. You know, or you you should you you know you need to do the hard yards. You know, you need to ten years before yeah. you're going to get anywhere. Um, and these conversations were going on when I was a, uh, an apprentice. And this and there's, st- there's some industry stalwarts out there that's still saying exactly the same thing. And all it does, I think, is inhibit people. 
And I remember saying to you a long time ago, mate, age is just a number in your head. And I think it, it inhibited my creativity. I remember saying to you at Phoenix, you know, you just, you can run this kitchen. You're good enough yeah. to do it. Yeah. But somebody's just got to pass you the ball and then yeah. you have a go, right? And go for it. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I learned a lot then to be a self-starter. Um, but I've also learned, especially now in business, um, that, that, you know, I was actually talking about it last night, a certain staff member where before I'd push them into, into a position, mm. um, and potentially most of the time I set people up for failure, oh. um, where now I've got to realize not, not everyone is like me or not everyone's like that person or that yeah. person, um, but it's funny you talk about, you know, working the hard yards. My, my chefs at press club now do 40 hours a week. Yeah. Um, there's two teams, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And the first month was so difficult for all of them because they didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, and now I've had to take control of the, their life outside of the restaurant yeah. and start sitting them down and going, hang on, what are you doing with your life? Mm. Like, w w what do you do? What are your hobbies? Because they never, they don't, chefs don't, when we have hobbies. No, never had hobbies. Um, it's called sleeping. Yeah, sleep. It's a great hobby. Yeah, sleep. <laughs> and and try and get some nutritional value within yourself to then get going the, the following week. Yeah. So it's this interesting moment in time now where I'm actually sitting with, well, what is it that you like to do? What is it that you want to do? Um, and start, we're starting to break down the team and go, right, you know, um, is it that you, is it you want to go and learn more about food? Uh, yep. Okay. All right. What, what do you want to be a champion of? And, yeah. and we'll go like, Jason, you want to be, he goes, I love seafood. Right. We're going to help you be a champion of seafood and go meet supplies, meet the artisans, meet this, meet that, yeah. go fishing. I was going to say, go fishing. Do the state, do mm. everything and learn as much as you can I think that's about that. So it's this interesting time in hospitality where I don't want to hear what you just, you yeah. know, what you, you're right. You know, I'm, they don't work and all that. I yeah. don't want to know about that. Anymore. It's an incredible transition. I think we'll touch on it later because we're getting yeah. all serious really quickly. But it, I, what I would say, <laughs> because we need to ease into it, ease George. Into we need to agree. ease into the conversation. Yeah. There's some big topics to yeah. cover <laughs> if you want to. Um, but, you know, it's interesting you say that because people ask me now, you know, because obviously we don't cook every single day on the stove. Mm. You know, how do you feel about food now? And I said, I've never been in love with food as much as I am now because I have the opportunity to explore it in lots of different ways. Mm. So when I was younger and an apprentice, mm. and you'd recognize this, mm. you had very little time other than just work. So yeah. that's fabulous. So to be able to go to someone yeah. else's restaurant or yeah. walk down yeah, the street or yeah. train yourself yeah. to go and do something else, you know, learn how to make bread or learn to go thing. fishing. And, you know, it was funny. Yesterday we have a, um, we have a full-time person now at made establishment it's they're a cultural manager and mm. they look after the culture of our business which is some ridiculous thought but it makes a lot of sense because really everyone knows how to cook everyone knows how to serve the cultures make great venues not great food yeah. i mean great food is just a given but doesn't the chef right. set that doesn't the general manager That's or the right. manager but set i that? think when you get to a point where there's multiple venues yeah when it was just the press club it was me mm. and i could control the culture mm. um both good and bad, but now when you've got multiple venues and you're trying to touch the hearts of a staff member that's working in Rabina in Queensland, how do you do that? And yeah. there's, there is a there's a there's a way. And yes, that's funny because she came up to me and said, um, and she has one on ones with my my head chefs, and she goes, you know, um, uh, George, you know they love it when you go go and sit and talk to them and have a coffee and have a laugh. I go, oh, that's great because but there's something you're not doing. And I go, what's that? You're not telling them the hard bits of that you found when you were a head chef. Mm. And I was just going, oh, 
I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, was, was there bits that were hard? I go, yeah, lots. She goes, why aren't you telling them that and giving them this? Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting, you know, about how we're now, you know, before it was, it was one thing and one thing only, focus on producing the best food and whatever it took to get that, mm. just mm. kill anything in front of you to get it. Yeah. Um, now it's not that. It's focus on the other things and the food will come. Yeah. Tell me something about your childhood. <laughs> Jesus, man, I'm, we, I'm concerned now. I know lots of little stories. Yeah. You tell me lots of little stories. I don't mind if you- yeah, Childhood you know. was, you know what, I'm ne- not going to sit here and go, oh, it was a tough childhood. I had, you know, um, mow the lawns, carry goats on my back. <laughs> it, was, it was none of that. It was a very, you know, I think now more than ever, I look look at my parents- and when I start to delve into them and their past, you go, Jesus me. I mean, what a big call for my, my granddad to take my mum and her sisters and put, due to the invasion, the Turkish invasion in Cyprus, pack everything up, leave everything behind, get on a boat and come to Australia. And, I mean, that's ludicrous not be able to mm. speak a word of English um, and arrive here and live in a one bedroom flat in Collingwood um, and, you know. Uh, go to the chemist to collect olive oil because the supermarket never sold it. Um, and then my dad on the other side come from Egypt and was basically pushed out there, pushed out of Egypt, and then, you know, come here and start from scratch, my granddad. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes I've got to remind myself when I think I'm doing it tough or it's hard, mm. well, how did they do it? Not being able to speak speak the, speak the, the language. Racism was, I mean, still, we're still a very racist country. It was high, very high back then mm. and very vocal. Um, hence why we called Jimmy Grant's Jimmy Grant's. I mean, imagine that. He was called a Jimmy Grant. Why was he called a Jimmy well, Grant? Well, you removed the J and it's immigrants. Uh, so so it's it was Jimmy a Grant. nice way, yeah. Of calling him an immigrant. So, yeah, I mean, um, and for me, I, I, growing up was very similar, you know, a brother and a sister, um, both from my parents' um, first marriages. So I'm the link between these two. My mm. sister and I have the same father. My brother and I have the same mother. So that was uh, that was interesting, yeah. and it's interesting now. You know, I'm, I'm I'm I am the 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 glue between them yeah. two, and sometimes it's uh, it's tough. Um, sometimes it's fantastic. Yeah. What do you think got them through it? Um, so you say you don't know what? Yeah, them through. What do you think I, I think it's it? a certain mm. amount of resilience. I think it's a certain amount of um, uh, this, I, uh, you know, um, it's, uh, it's also okay to work hard. Um, we find that a bit daunting these, this day and age, work, hard work, how many hours when then it was just a given to work hard and to provide. I, I, I still feel that now with my own kids and, and, and Natalie that, you know, it's, it's my job to provide for them and, and, you know, um, and, and be a role model towards them and show them that, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to get stuck in and give it a go. And, yeah. um, but it is my responsibility to make sure there's food on the table for them and roof over there. So when you, when you think back, when you were really little, what, what do you think they were going through? Obviously there was a bit of, uh, you know, you talk about racial tension mm. or tension because, you know, these immigrants were coming over, mm. these Greeks, the Italians, yeah. the, everybody were, yeah. were coming over and, and stealing jobs, you yeah. know, and what did they know kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. What, 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 when you were little, do you remember any moments where you thought, oh, maybe it struck you now looking back or? Yeah. 
I sort of think about it, you know, like mum was a seamstress when she got here, very uneducated. Um, well, I believe she was very educated, but obviously not in the educational form. Dad, very educated, an engineer, you know, quite clever. Um, and what struck me is how mum could um, just get through a day with this sort of, uh, how can I put it, you know, uneducated approach, doing things that she she just wanted to get it done and, mm. you know, and provide for us, put food on the table for us. Um, and, you know, uh, as for a woman who didn't know how to read and write, I still I used to bamboozle me how she could sit there and help me get through a book. Mm. Um, so how did she do that? I don't do you know. Reckon? I just got no idea. Like, and here we are. We are all in this country about structure and process, and we must uh, get our kids extra tuition and, mm. you know, this and that. Oh, they're not that good at maths. Let's get them someone to – and it's – don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking that. But there, I think what's – because we're so privileged and lucky here in Australia – um, back then it was, it was struggle made you drive to mm. perform and to get a result. So on the flip side, did, was your dad always at work? Always. And I, I, I saw dad, um, probably on the weekends, um, a little bit because even what was interesting, like even now I finds it ridiculous that I get a gardener to come around and trim hedges. It's like, <laughs> why don't Mow you, the lawns. yeah, why don't you mm. do that? That's your job. Mm. I go, no, I don't want to do it. And again, it's a different part of life. Well, it's life. a privilege of earning a little bit of extra money. And I think these days, even if you earn a little bit of extra money, you kind of outsource those jobs. Like you take your car to the car cleaner yeah. rather than washing well, yourself. Well, totally. I mean, you know, it's funny because where our support office is in Cremorne, there's a there's a um, an Albanian man who has a little car wash. And I remember when we moved in, I went across the road and chatted with him and gave him my car. And I said, look, you know what? Every month I'll just pay the account he goes i go is that all right he goes yeah i go how's it going he goes it's, it's i'm sh- it's no good and i just went, okay all right so within that week i went in our building got my <laughs> ea to go around and go everyone is to get their car washed there it's our responsibility to to keep this to give this guy um mm. uh, an income yeah and he does a great job regardless but you know it's our job to support this guy yeah. And is that because you remember back yeah, to your, yeah, to your rem- dad? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Have you got an image of your dad coming home or on the weekend? Brown paper when you bag. Never forget. He, and you know what I n- never forget? Dad could get through an entire month with the same brown paper bag. That what, mum would put, put, his put, his, put his lunch in, his everything in. Mm. That same brown paper bag would come home. And I laugh now how we so – we be, we're – we're, I mean, we're, we're all about buzzwords. We're buzz, you know, recycle, sustainable, this, that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a lot of bollocks. We should just do it and not talk about yeah. it. And dad would do it. And, you know, um, uh, mum was frugal in the, in the kitchen, you yeah. know, like we would, there was no such thing as compost. Yeah. There was nothing going in the composter. <laughs> we were eating everything. Nothing yeah. was going to, you know. And I, you know, I remember vividly every Saturday morning you go down to Dandenong and get fresh ricotta from the factory, and it was that treat that would come home hot ricotta on a little plate with um, sugar and cinnamon. And that was like, <gasps> and it was still warm, you know. Mate, you paid like, a lot of money for that in a good restaurant now. <laughs> <laughs> Is that on the menu, just by any chance? No, but I think I, think it I might be. put that on. I think it should be because idea. that's an amazing story. After the break, I'll find out a little bit more about how George found himself in the cooking industry and how the times have changed. 
So if we if we fast forward a little bit, what were you like at school? Um, uh, I got through. Without any rubbish. I don't want any rubbish. I just want to know I really. I got through. Because um, I might do a fact check. I might not ring your mates because mm. they'll just tell me that you're amazing. No, and no, I, they'll I tell you the truth. some third party. Uh, they'll tell you the truth. Um, I was, I, I remember primary school. There was, there was me and this guy called David and David and I, funnily, I haven't seen him in, you know, 25 years. I saw him a couple of weeks ago and he broke down in tears. And I know why he did. I, I was like quite <clears throat> gobsmacked and- we were chatting and he goes, you know, we, cause we stuck together in primary school and, and it was a, I don't want to say it Anglo, it was very Anglo based and we, we had to protect ourselves throughout mm. primary school. And was he Greek then? He, he's Turkish. Right. And, um, and you know, we, we, we were, we were the captains of the soccer team cause we were the best players. Um, and even though we did really poorly because there was pretty much us two and the rest were useless mm. um and the the football <laughs> team were amazing the afl team um and i remember we were laughing because we we're sitting there and he was in press club with his wife and we we're sitting there chatting and laughing and this beautiful blonde lady walked towards the table and mm. went mr columbaris i just want to say you're amazing and thank mm. you so much for master chef and blah, blah blah and i'm like oh thank you so much and he just went oh my god george he looked at me he goes do you remember she would have been, she, there was many of them at our primary school. I've gone, what do you mean? He goes, you know, blonde, beautiful. And they never came to us back then to speak to us. And I just, I, I could see this. It just sort of all flooded back. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. They, they didn't want to speak to us. Short, you know, different looking, um, yeah. ethnics. Yeah. You know, even though I was born here. Um, yeah. And funny, a moment there, you're talking about this, uh, there's a Greek and a Turk uh, playing football together. And the very reason your mum left Cyprus is because of the relationship yeah. between the Turks and yeah. the Greeks. And yeah. it's always been volatile, right? Volatile. So, and volatile. yet you come to a new country and you're sitting in the playground together. Sitting in the playground together playing. Um, and, you know, even last night, and you, I was at, uh, I went to Tulum to take him a, 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 a an olive tree to mm. congratulate him for his one year. Yeah. Um, and you know, what a wonderful boy. And you know, yeah. he's, he's a Turkish boy and yeah. you know, he's wonderful. I mean, you know, I get, you know, I get my, probably my mother's bitterness about the whole thing. Mm. Uh, I really do. I understand it. But for me, I just look at it as I'm glad it happened because yeah. I probably would have never been born. Yeah. Well, also you'd be, well, also you'd have, even if you were born and you were still there, you'd have a very different idea of the world. Yeah. And maybe you wouldn't have had the same opportunities that you had here. Yeah. And you go, and when I go to Greece, you don't hear any of that. It's only here in Australia. And I get mm. it because they brought that. Any, any of what? So the, Any of that whole, what's happened, the, the, the Turks, yeah. the this, the that, the Macedonians, all that rubbish. I don't get caught up in it. I'm... I just and over there they don't. They've moved on from it. We're yeah. here because they came. Yeah, it's from frozen in time. Frozen in time. Yeah, it's, like the food. It's frozen in time, isn't it? And yeah. the, and because they look back romantically, don't they? At, mm. at what they lost and what yeah. they left and what yeah. they the idea of what they'd go back to, yeah. which is entirely different. And you know what's funny? I was I was um, chatting to a couple of uh, uh, air hosties on the flight over, and this is peak season for a lot of Greeks to go over. And do you know how many um, angina attacks happen on planes? Because the a lot of these Greeks haven't been back in 30, 40 years. And it's this anticipation of them getting over. And most of them, they get sick on the plane, like really bad because of the whole, yeah, you know, it's, going back. it's funny. It's so weird, funny. isn't it? Yeah. Really. But that's something, I think it's generational too. Yeah. But once upon a time, once you came to Australia, that, that was it. You're yeah. on a boat, you weren't going back. 
I remember as a kid, there used to be a radio program where they'd put people in the UK, where I was, in touch with people in Australia they'd never spoken to for 20 years. Wow. Because telephone calls were expensive. Yeah. Now we just hop on a plane yeah. or make a phone call free on mm. Skype or yeah, you know, WhatsApp, WhatsApp and, and it's totally different. It's incredible. So when you rewind forward a little bit and you're becoming a teenager, what do you want to be? Football uh, star? Football star. Football star. I knew I wanted to be a chef from probably, would have been about 14. Um, I don't know why. It just sort of came to me one day. Mm. I don't know why. I, I honestly don't. I, yeah, I would have been, I was about 14. And I remember, and it was at that point where at high school, um, uh, you had a careers uh, advisor. person, advisor. Um, and I remember Mr. Weeberg. Um, uh, going There's a there. few nicknames there for Mr. Weeberg, isn't there? <laughs> what, did he, what did he get called? Just out of curiosity. Uh, you can't remember, can you? I can't remember. <laughs> I was a good student. Uh, would never do anything like that. <laughs> Throwing bits of paper at Mr. Yeah. Weeberg when he's got his back to it. Yeah. Anyway, um, sorry, I just I went off on a tangent. And I remember going to him and going, I want to be a chef. I go, how can I? And he goes, oh, well, we've got a problem because there's no home economics class uh, set up here at Mazenod. He goes, but let me let me do some research. I'll get back to you in a couple of days. Got back to me and he goes, right, we've got a solution. This was in year 11 and 12. Every Friday, we're going to need to stick you in a Mazenod bus and send you to Avila. And I've just gone, huh, sorry, Avila, that's our sister school. And I, he goes, you'll spend the day there. So is that a girl's <laughs> school? Like, I'm going to get to spend an entire day at a girl's school. Life is good. <laughs> Uh, to the point, my mates were like, oh, I think I'm going to start home economics. I was like, dude, you hate cooking. Um, the bonus for that is, um, and I'm not saying it was because of me, now Mazenod has, has its own home economics um, uh, area space, and it's fantastic. Because mm. I think if there's anything that should be compulsory in curriculum mm. is 100% kids need to learn how to cook. Um, yep. And it's, you know, I'm not asking them to do, you know, years of it, but do something. Yeah. There should be a little something. Enough to learn 10 recipes before you leave school. Exactly. Yeah, so when they do leave home, mm. they're, they're armed and they're equipped. I mean, I love how you tell me, Gary, about Jenna. I mean, yeah. she, she can make an omelette. She can do yeah. things. And that's fantastic. Well, that's down to Stephanie Alexander at her school, which was Murrumbina Primary. And yeah. uh, they had the... Kitchen garden. Kitchen garden. Yeah. And it is spectacular. Yeah. And I actually went in a couple of times over the years, and, and not when Jenna's been there, but since she's left, and gone in and cooked with the kids, and you should see their faces. Yeah. They Happy. love it. Happy. Because they get to pick stuff, and they get to cook what they picked, and then they get to eat it, and yeah. it's it's just beautiful. It's tangible, and it's instantly yeah. gratifying. Yeah, it is. Hello. I'm so hang on a minute. So when you said you were going to do home economics, <laughs> and now you're on a minibus off, yeah. to, off to this school, <laughs> what did your mates say? Because they're all doing engineers. I presume like, they all want to be engineers. Yeah, my, look, my f architect. my four best mates. Um, you know, one of them's a marketing manager. Other one's a barrister. Other one's um, one of the bosses at Asahi. I mean, they're they're you know, they're, another one's a lawyer. I mean, become become a what? Um, a chef? Like what? Are you okay? Like, mm. like, and I'm you know, it's a girly job. Yeah, it was girl. You know, and so, that's what we thought. Now Sorry, not what we thought, but no, what everyone else thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, it's what I want to do. And you know, I and uh, there was one commitment I made to Dad was finish year twelve. Um, 
and it was, was probably the smartest thing because it slightly matured me and and allowed me to do things that you do when you're in year 11 and 12 yeah. and go to socials, go to formals, take a girl to a deb, do those things that slightly sound ridiculous, but I think are important. Um, but uh, in terms of how did I go, it was a disaster mm. in school, like a disaster. I mean, you know, a, a 17.9 or something. Out of what? Uh, what was it then? It was a TER back then. Right. A TER score. So, um, yeah. (laughs) No good, but good. (laughs) No good, but good. So at your school, you were, you were destined, with those kind of results, you were forgettable until you became famous. Stuff you did all right. Well, (laughs) you know what? I shouldn't say famous, I should say successful. I I, um, left there and I automatically, I mean, during that time, I was working. Friday, Saturday, Sundays, part-time at Faster Pastor in Burwood. Um, I did that for a year and a year and a half, two years, and then I went, moved to the Mentone Hotel and did my, a year there. And then, you know, during that time, started putting these applications out for apprenticeships. Yeah. Um, and, geez, well, there, yeah, so, there so, you go. So what happened – so if you rewind to those, say, year 11, about that, you know, famous film, Wog Boy, you know, where you and he goes, that was me, you know, mm. sitting in the, mm. in the playground, you know, where he opens yeah. up, he's got a salami and bread yeah. and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And all the, they used to call them skips, no? Yeah, yeah. All the Aussies were, got Vegemite sandwiches and yeah. taken the mickey. Yeah. But obviously that happened to you at some level. Yeah, yeah. Was it still there later on in school? Oh, or, yeah. Or, or, it was sort of broken up into three parts at my school. There was the skips, if you want to call them that, there's the wogs, meaning the, the group of my mates, yeah, and the Asians, right. And you know, on on the only the only the, I look at it now, and I'm like, we would sit there us wogs with our Tupperware containers, yeah, not these. So where divided. are wogs from specifically? I mean, is good it, question. <laughs> is there I, a I geographical don't even know. Zone the, the, uh, you know, Western Oriental gentlemen, really. Is that what it is? Yeah, they apparently. It Never makes no it. sense. Yeah, me neither. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and we would, you know, it was funny and you could, you could say, we would never wear shorts to school where our Aussie friends would all Aussie and here I am. Well, yeah. I can't believe I'm talking like this, but they would wear shorts like, and we would always have our pants on. Like it was, we had, there was these just certain makeups that divided us and like our Asian friends, they would eat um, in the courtyard, squatting. Mm. I'll never forget it. Why are they squatting for? Just sit at the table. Yeah. Or it's very sit trendy at the bench. Now. It's very trendy. It's very trendy now. And yeah. here I, we were, looking at, we we're looking at them taking the piss and now, now we're going and buying their food, squat. you know, yeah. <laughs> eating with chopsticks and loving it and thinking it's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I know, I know we're laughing while we're saying it, but it wasn't really very funny. No, it wasn't it? funny. It's it was horrible. Funny. It was horrible. Do you remember any moments where it wasn't really very funny? Yeah. There was one moment where I'll never forget. We got to, we all would arrive to school and congregate in one spot, us, all of us mates. And Vince Diaco, um, a good friend of ours, we got there and he was in the corner shaking and really upset. Tears. We're like, what ha- what's going on? I came in and I accidentally bumped one of the Asian boys as I was walking in and 10 minutes later, 30 of them approached him with a knife mm. and we all just went, what? This is, I can't believe this, this happened. And then it all turned pear shape, um, to the point where I got expelled on the last day for the last day of school because I stuck up for my mate. Mm. Um, 
and yeah, look, it's that's not that's horrible, and we don't want any of that. And I, I say it all the time, you know. I mean, I look at James. They're lessons now, learned, aren't they? That you that you pass on. I totally pass them on, and something on. You know, I look at James now, and I, you know, I rock Who's up to school, which is my son, and he's in prep, and I rock up to school, and you know, it's you. I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure I'll be kidding myself if there isn't racism. I'll be kidding myself. And we do it. My dad mm-hmm. does it where he'll go the, the, the Indian taxi driver. And I'll go, what yeah. are you talking about, mate? And he'll go, what? I'll go, what are you talking about? I'll go, mate, you were the fish and chip shop owner. Remember, mm-hmm. don't forget that. So let's, you know, we've got to be very um, thoughtful about and, and think, you know, these are people that have obviously migrated here and they're trying to make a living. Yeah. I always think about it in in a in maybe a slightly different way, not always racism, but just fear of uh, people being different. Yeah, you know. So as kids, you know, you take the Mickey out of someone with a big nose or yeah. with glasses yeah. or the wrong shoes. Yeah, like it's just ridiculous, yeah. right? And so as you get older, certainly if you're a liberal-minded individual, that mm. the same applies to everything, doesn't it? Yeah. But when you're a kid. It's really, it's very different. I remember the things we said we were kids. Terrible. Terrible. And actually, I just read something in the paper the other day with uh, Lauren Eldridge, and she made a comment. She was a Josephine Pinillet Award winner, so that's quite an accolade. And she said, I'm just fed up of being called a female chef. I'm a chef. Take me seriously. You know, I don't need to be, I don't need to be put in a box and I don't need to, I don't need anybody to. Uh, have special conditions that apply and I'm fed up with everyone saying how does it feel like being a female chef in a male dominated industry and how are you going to cope when you have kids she goes stuff off don't want to don't want to talk about it I think it's really true it's very very true it's so true it's just how we look at things so applied for apprenticeships Mm. so you got a you got a job at uh, Sofitel yeah yeah and it was funny because I put my application out to Loads of hotels. I, I went, right, at the time, all I knew was to get a good apprenticeship, you needed to be in a hotel. Mm. So I put it out to the Hyatt everywhere. Any f- good five-star hotel in Melbourne, I put it in. And the only one that came back that gave me an opportunity was was Sofitel. Mm. Obviously, you know that because you were there and you gave me my first job. And um, I never forget the lineup. We, I remember there was hu- about 100 apprentices because you yeah. cherry-picked sort of 10 and I just went, oh my god, I'm never, this is never going to happen. Um, and then when it did, I went, I'm, I'm, uh, like I didn't take school seriously. I didn't take school seriously. I, it was, it was fun. I said, I'm going to take this so bloody seriously. Mm. And and why and, is that? Because I, I you- think I fell in love with it, and I knew, and I, got, I went, hang on a second, I, I'm actually doing something that. I'm being, and don't get me wrong, I think out of the four years there, like maybe, you know, three and a half years, maybe a, a, a tenth of it, you got told you're doing a good job. But I just knew I was in the right place with the right people that were, that knew how to press my buttons to get maximum mm. out of me. Yeah. Um, and it was a big hotel. So to give people a sense of it, there were, I think, 100 chefs, 110 mm. chefs. So there were eight food and beverage outlets, banquets, there was mm. Cafe La, there was Atrium, Rude Service, and you pretty much did it all, didn't you? Every department, and, um, you know, I immersed myself in everything. And, and you know, it was it was brutal. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. But it was, <clears throat> it was such a – when you think about it, it was such a united chef team. I never forget the feeling. There was this – there was this secret that – that – 
And you know, and you knew it. If you weren't going to step into the arena with the with the the crew, the the gang, if you want to call it that, you're going to get out. You're going to get pushed out, and you're not going to make it. It's simple. Why was it like that? Do you think? I don't know. Look, I don't know. I mean, you know, we 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 call it. You know, it was the obviously the 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 British invasion of chefs that obviously migrated, and you know the the the. the the Capaldi's, the Lambies, the Megan's, mm. this, the, that, you know, and obviously that was the start of something very, very unique here in, mm. in Australia where, you know, obviously Britain was a million miles ahead of us back then. Yeah. Um, and there was a certain, and I see it now, you know, one of my, one of my star chefs, um, he's, you know, he's, 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 his tape within his brain, he's been so battered and bruised from his time he worked in Britain and some amazing places where now I've, I've got to, we're helping him adjust that to make it more Australian. Yeah. So what does that mean, more Australian? That means, you know, you you just can't fly off the handle. That means you just can't, you can't rule with an iron fist. It's just not going to work. Mm. You're not going to get maximum value out of your stuff. Soften up, yeah. Um, and you know, even I had to change at some point when I became an owner. I had to change. Um, but yeah, it was an incredible time, an incredible place, and I made it on. I think on the last freight train that was the yeah. dying great yeah. hotels. Well, that was a transition period in hotels. I think. Yeah. Uh, so it it went from. Regent Four mm, Seasons mm. to Sofitel, mm. and the brief was to change everything. So Raymond Capaldi, who was the executive chef, I was exec sous. Yeah, um, that was our. That's what we were told we had to do: get yeah. out, get all the deadwood out, change it, make every outlet profitable. Yeah, and then the the goal was to employ everybody underneath, mm. get the best people. And if you look at the, can you remember some of the oh, sous chefs? Man. That were running each or the head chefs that were running the outlets. I mean, uh, and that was the thing. There was a lovely a competition within the competition, mm. you know, of, of sous chefs wanting to be the best sous chefs, you know, mm. chef de cuisines wanting to be the best chef de cuisines, and then it filtered right down to the apprentices. And yeah. I, I never forget. I'd walk in there every day, going, I, I want to be, and I will be the best apprentice in this place. And yeah. I, I worked my absolute ass off, and I. I just wanted it so bad, mm. you know, and, and it's, well, I think that was, as, as, that internal competition is wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, people ask me, were you a star back then? And I go, well, star's probably the wrong word, but you're a standout. I remember this Apprentice Morning Tea was particularly for first years, mm. and I think it was in the first six months of them enrolling as an apprentice. It brutally hard out of school, mm. really hard, working lots of hours, uh, these kids, and um, not having the support, having left school. Mm. Um, and your parents being a standout mm. because I remember one young lady, uh, her parents going, Look, we're really worried about her. She's working hard and mm. I don't know if this is the right job for her. And I, there I am trying to convince her parents that she was doing a great job and she, she was enjoying herself. Mm. And I thought she's never going to last because she doesn't have the support of her parents. Mm. You know, they wanted her to do something else, something more yeah. glamorous. Whereas I remember your dad or your mum literally coming up and grabbing me by the arm and saying, listen here. And I'm like looking at these two short people <laughs> who are shorter than me, which is amazing. And you, your dad, Jim, and your mum, Mary. And just and if George is any problem, mm. you ring us and we'll sort him out. Mm. And I thought that kid's going to do all right. Because he's got no escape. Yeah, no, and there was, it, you know, you had to do had well to work regardless. hard. Yeah, and, and that was the thing. And I'd never forget Dad saying, "I don't care what you become, but if you if you you got to love it and you got to work hard. Uh, don't. There's no secret to this. 
this thing. You know, there's no secret to um, what people think success is in this industry. It's it's just two things: hard work, hard work. That's part one of my chat with George, but part two gets even deeper with George and I chatting about some of the challenges he's faced this year, being a chef, but being a chef who's a celebrity. And of course, that day at the soccer. Part two is available on Podcast One. Take a listen. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski, executive producer Jamie Shu. audio production is Darcy Thompson, and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research.